At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new content, whether it be podcasts, articles, polls, news and notes, or any updates to the site. Really, anything we got on the baseball side does get shared out through Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you guys are following over there ahead of the upcoming season. I shouldn't really even say upcoming. We're still kind of winding down from 2023, but that is where you'll find all of our content this offseason and, of course, uh, heading into 2024 as well. If you're not somebody who uses social media, of course, sportsethos.com is the place for you guys to be going. You get all that same content, minus the Twitter stuff, the tweets that get sent out with player analysis and whatnot. That's why I always recommend you guys do use social media, even if it's not, you know, you're not posting on it. Just have an account set up, follow some of our writers here, and people not even just with sports ethos, people who will give you great fantasy advice throughout the season. It is worthwhile, I think, to have social media accounts, but if you're not set up over there, sportsethos.com, you still get pretty much all that same content covered. Now, I do want to make an announcement today. It's Monday. It's the beginning of the week. We've got you guys listening here. We have a new contributor at Sports Ethos, and I am extremely excited about it. Mr. Ben Tidd, if you're not familiar with Ben, he's on Twitter at BreakingBen underscore T. He is our newest contributor here at Sports Ethos. I could not be happier. Ben is one of the nicest and more knowledgeable people in the community. We interact all the time on Twitter. Reached out a few days ago, asked him if he'd be interested in doing some content for us, and he happily agreed. So we are going to be doing some NFBC content with Ben this coming season. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like yet. I'm not 100% sure. We still have a few months to figure that out. We'll have Ben on this show uh, periodically throughout the season. He'll also be doing some written content that will focus on NFBC topics. I'm Again, we're still kind of figuring out exactly what it will be, but we do have Ben on our team now. So please do go give him a follow at BreakingBen underscore T. He does great work, and we're going to see it now right up close and personal here at Sports Ethos. I could not be happier. I'm thinking, again, there will be a lot of different new things we're doing this year, but Ben will probably be the guy who leads up our NFBC coverage, so really, really excited about that. Big things coming here at Sports Ethos. A couple other announcements coming around the corner, and I should also just say here on the podcast before we really get going, if you are interested in coming aboard the team as a writer, as an editor, as somebody who does any kind of content, really, if you're interested in breaking into the sports world, Sports Ethos is a great place for it. We are always looking to bring on new people, not just in the baseball side of things. If you're interested in fantasy football, fantasy hockey, fantasy soccer, fantasy whatever, uh, we will we have a lot of space. Uh, we are always looking to expand here at Sports Ethos in a variety of roles. So please do reach out to myself if you do have any interest. We'll get you talking with the right people. 
But today we are going to talk about some news that did happen over the weekend in the baseball world. We were going to get right into first base reviews, and I said on Friday, we're going to do first base Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, unless there is a bunch of news that comes out. It had been kind of quiet, so I was anticipating a quiet weekend. But then we got a hell of a lot of news that came out over the last couple of days. So we're going to just kind of catch up on that a little bit here today. There's a couple of things from today, but we'll go back uh, a couple of days as well. And we'll start with the bigger news. We'll start with Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola is going back to Philadelphia. This one came out yesterday. And I believe it was actually Bob Nightingale who broke the deal. Really, really strange. We're living in a world where that can still be a possibility. He, it used to happen, but we haven't really seen that uh, be a thing for a while. Bob Nightingale breaking news. But he beat passing to it. Uh, God bless him. I wasn't expecting it, but there it is. Uh, Bob Nightingale breaking that uh, Philly signed Aaron Nola to a seven-year, $172 million deal. It's big money, but I think it's pretty fair at the end of the day. 172 over seven. You're looking at about $24.5 million a season. So it's, I think, pretty reasonable contract for somebody like Aaron Nola. Now, he's coming off of kind of a bad year. I'm sure he was hoping that he would have had a similar season to 2022 before hitting the market. It would have probably looked like a a bit of a nicer contract for him. But still, I don't think you're going to be complaining about uh, $25 million annually. It's a great contract for him. I think it's a great contract for Philadelphia because if they lost Aaron Nola, then they were going to be kind of not scrounging for pitchers because they do have a, a decent staff even behind Nola. But if they were to have lost Nola, then you are looking at, I mean, definitely taking a step back in that department. You would have been looking at Wheeler followed by Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez. There's a lot of variance in those last few names. Sanchez looked great. Is that going to carry over? I don't know. Ranger Suarez has had a good few seasons, but his stuff is kind of more on the volatile side. If Ranger Suarez had a season with an above five ERA, I don't think anybody would be shocked by it. And Taiwan Walker is kind of, you know, in and out, right? We'll see great seasons from him. We'll see not great seasons from him. There wasn't a lot of consistency outside of those top two names. And we saw that in the postseason, right? We'd see Wheeler and Nola, and then you'd see like Suarez or whatever, and then you'd go back to the top. They didn't really trust those guys farther down. And understandably so. But getting Nola back, I think is a great move for Philadelphia, fairly cost-effective move for them as well. And I'm sure they don't mind, you know, looking back on it, that Aaron Nola didn't have the greatest 2023 season because it did take some dollars off of that total value. you got to be sure of that. Now, it helps us with the projections because when a player switches teams, you're generally not going to be as confident in the projections. You're switching ballparks, you're switching coaches, you're switching everything. Literally everything changes, so then the projections will then change themselves a little bit. But him staying in Philadelphia means that we have the projections we can look at for Steamer, which, you know, there'll be a lot more projections. But whatever they are, Steamer, ATC, the bat, zips, whatever they are, you can be more confident in them based on the fact that he's remaining with the same team. There are less variance factors that you have to put into the equation. And I think that we can probably read more into the projections than we would have if he went to a different team. Now, I was kind of looking forward to him going to St. Louis because that's where I was, you know, all the chatter was. It was, you know, a lot of talk that St. Louis was very interested and that he would go there. They seemed like a really good fit. I would have liked that from a defensive standpoint. St. Louis has a better defense than Philadelphia. You might save some runs in the field, but I don't think it's really going to hurt Aaron Nola that badly. We've seen Aaron Nola put up incredible Cy Young-worthy seasons with the bad Philadelphia defense behind him, so I don't think that's really a huge factor. And I think it's also really nice that, there's a very good chance at this point, Aaron Nola being 30 years old, he'll be 31 early next season. You're probably not going to see him pitch for another team at this point. And it's pretty rare that you'll see a one pitch or a one team player 
in Major League Baseball in this day and age. It literally like never happens with the greatest of players, with the worst of players. It doesn't even matter. Uh, players are switching teams all the time. I literally, off the top of my head, can't think of another player in this era right now. Like I guess there's Mike Trout. Uh, who'll probably, I mean, even Trout, though, there's talk about him getting traded. Like, you don't really have though, that many players who stay with one team their whole career. You got Juan Soto putting up, like, Hank Aaron-type numbers with his WRC+. Plus. I think it was Curland who tweeted that one out. And yet he's going to be on his third team by the age of 25. You see players move around a lot, so it is kind of nice to see a guy who will probably pitch for the same team for his whole career. I don't know. There's something, maybe it's too sentimental of me, but I remember just growing up, especially being from Toronto, being Canadian, seeing a lot of hockey players when I was growing up at the end of their careers, and they were one-team guys, Mario Lemieux, Joe Sackick, Steve Eisman. I'm probably losing half the audience here talking hockey, but for those of you who are, you know, if you're in Pittsburgh, if you're in Detroit, you're in Colorado, you definitely know what I'm talking about. Like, those guys being one franchise guys for their whole careers is definitely means more to the city, and I think it's good for the sport to see players staying with one team. So overall... I really like this. I think from a fantasy point of view, we've already talked about the fact that Nola is more likely than not to bounce back just based on the variance that he has year in and year out with odd years and even years, based on the fact that the underlying numbers are still really good from Aaron Nola. The strikeout rate came down a little bit, but it's still 25.5%. His walk rate is still you know, just about as good as ever at 5.7%. If you're looking at the expected stats, 363 XFIP, 377 XERA, and a 375 Sierra. He was a lot better than what we got, which was a 446 ERA. So I think that Aaron Nola is going to be fine. There was a lot of chatter yesterday, maybe not a lot, but I saw a few people talking about whether or not they would be comfortable with Aaron Nola as their fantasy ace. And I think probably you would be. It really depends on how you're constructing your team. But Aaron Nola, and I'll just pull up the most recent ADP because like we've talked about here, there are drafts always going on. We're up to 40 total drafts now, so they are definitely getting into the full swing of things. Uh, Aaron Nola, at this point, his ADP is 56.35. He is going between picks 30 and 83. So I don't know that I want to be taking him at the end of the second round. If you're getting him at 83, I mean, that's a total bargain. But I think somewhere in the fourth round really makes sense. Whether or not he's your ace, again, is up to how you construct your team. Some people will like to take four or five batters off rip. Some people go pocket aces, and they'll want to go Cole and Strider. And then at that point, you don't really need a Nola. So it, it does depend how you build your team. But if he's your number one, preferably probably your number two, I don't think there's really much of an issue with that. You take a guy in... You know, the guys we've talked about that I really like this year, the Strider, obviously, in round one, Gosman in round three, Pablo Lopez in round four. If you can build out your team with, like, two hitters in the first two rounds and then you go, like, Gosman and then Aaron Nola or even three hitters and then Aaron Nola as your ace, I don't see that being really a big problem. You're getting a good anchor for strikeouts. You're getting a good anchor for innings pitched. I don't see, and of course, you know, with pitchers, you never really know how healthy they're going to be. They're only healthy till they're not. But somebody who has been a 200-inning guy for the majority of his career with good strikeout rates, I still feel pretty confident in having Aaron Nola as a fantasy ace. Still working on rankings, not sure exactly where he will be placing. But I'm thinking probably somewhere roughly in like the 10 to 12 kind of range. Uh, that's off the top of my head. We'll have to see exactly. But I would still feel pretty confident in having Aaron Nola as an ace. Obviously, if he's your number two, you feel even better about that. But I don't have any real qualms with taking him uh, fairly early on in drafts. I still think the stuff is there. I think that he is still going to be uh, a fantasy ace. Even though we didn't really see it in 2023, I would be looking for a bounce back from Nola in 2024. Let's talk about something that really took me by surprise. Uh, I was on the, I was in the car, and I was driving over to a friend's house, and I got the pass and notification 
that Brandon Woodruff had been non-tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers. And I was like, what? Why? I was like literally lost for words. I was going to meet up with some friends who are you know, my home league friends. and We're talking baseball, and they were just as shocked because they're not obsessive like I am. They don't have Twitter notifications turned on for passing and those kind of guys. So they didn't know about this right away. They were just as shocked as I was. Now, some people that I've talked to in the industry weren't as surprised about this. You know, Milwaukee apparently didn't want to justify paying him $11.5 million where he spends the whole year rehabbing. Brandon Woodruff is not the youngest guy in the world, so I guess they figure, you know, he's going to miss this pretty much the entire year. There is talk that he'll come back potentially at the end of the season, but Brandon Woodruff's already 30 years old. He's going to be 31 in February. Let's say he doesn't pitch at all this year, comes back at the end for a few starts, whatever. So he'll be 32 years old by the time he is, quote-unquote, ready to go or supposedly ready to go uh, next time in in the big leagues, right? Because I'm not going to count whatever seven, eight starts he might make at the end of 2024 in that equation. It doesn't really matter for fantasy purposes. It will matter in season when you're talking about fab pickups, waiver priorities, and all that. But as of right now, I don't think it's really that big of a deal uh, to think about him in 2024. He's more of a 2025 kind of target. And with all the injuries he's had, his shoulder, you know, I'm really not sure about his shoulder at this point. There's There's a reason to believe that it's, you know, not the worst move in the world for them to cut bait now and not have to worry about extending Brandon Woodruff for a three or four year deal, whatever it is, and then having him slowly decline while he's making good money on your roster. I don't I don't I don't agree with it necessarily, but I understand it. Now the Brewers the last couple of years, we've seen kind of shoddy treatment of their pitchers. We saw Corbin Burns get taken out in arbitration last year over like I don't even know if it was a million dollar difference. It was like maybe a million at most, but I think we're talking like a few hundred thousand dollars and the Brewers were kind of nickel and diming him. He was upset with the organization. Now we see Brandon Woodruff get non-tendered. I don't think they have a hell of a lot of respect for the stars in their on their team in their rotation. So Freddie Peralta, watch out. I'm not sure what's going to happen with you at this point, uh, but you know the last couple off seasons we've seen some interesting things happen with Brewers pitchers. I don't know what exactly is going to happen with Brandon Woodruff, but it's hard to envision a world where he doesn't get signed by somebody. Now, any contract that you are going to sign Brandon Woodruff to, it's going to have to be multi-years, right? You're signing him to a one-year deal so he can be injured the whole season and then hit free agency again, go somewhere else. It doesn't make any sense for the team that would be signing him. So he is going to get a multi-year deal. Probably three years would be my guess. Maybe two. It's going to be either two or three years for Brandon Woodruff. There's, I think, too much risk in going beyond that. But I still think there's potential that Brandon Woodruff has fantasy value. We've just because he's coming from a place of being so so good that the shoulder surgeries, you know, and, and the injury wear and tear is not going to make him better. But he's coming from a place of being so so good that even if he falls off a little bit, even if there is some long term damage to the shoulder and he can't, you know, throw the same way he used to exactly, we're coming from a place of a three ten career ERA over six hundred and eighty innings. I think even if he's a little bit worse than that, even if he's like closer to a four ERA guy, assuming health, he's still going to be a very valuable fantasy asset and real life asset. So I'm kind of confused as to who exactly is going to want to pony up the money to have Brandon Woodruff sit on the injured reserve all year. They got to be a forward thinking team that isn't necessarily one that will be pushing all the chips forward in 2024. So a team that is maybe a year away or two years away that wants to start rebuilding um, assets in the rotation. Again, I honestly have no idea who that's going to be. I think St. Louis might be a decent fit. St. Louis has 
nothing going on with pitching. We'll talk about them in a second because they did make a signing as well. But I think it'll be a team like that, like an underachieving, maybe the Mets, you know, an underachieving team that is not really maybe thinking 2024 is push it all in the middle kind of year. And maybe the Mets are are the wrong example because maybe they will push all the chips in. But I think it'll be a team that's maybe a little bit of an underachieving team that has had struggles with their pitching staff that thinks 2025 could be a year for them. And Brandon Woodruff, even if it's 80% of Brandon Woodruff, you know, that's a starting pitcher on 30 out of 30 major league rotations. Brandon Woodruff, when he's healthy, even we saw it this year, you know, only 11 starts, but he had a 228 ERA. He was incredible. I had him on a second half gladiator team that I drafted. And, you know, I took him really late because there was a lot of injury concern. And I got 11 starts with a 228 ERA out of him. So, or maybe I know it was 10 starts, I guess, because he had one at the beginning of the year. But either way, like when he's healthy, Brandon Woodruff is so, so good. He's a top five pitcher probably. But the injury concerns are what's going to be causing a lot of the questions here in free agency and for fantasy purposes as well. When he comes back, what's he going to look like exactly? We have no idea. Um, Definitely not my favorite thing in the world, another injury for Brandon Woodruff, but we'll just kind of have to see where he signs. That will partly determine his fantasy value. I also think that we kind of just will have to lower our expectations when he comes back. People will, you know, see the name Brandon Woodruff and probably be very excited, as they should be, because it'll have been a while since we've seen him pitch. They'll say, oh, it's like, you know, Walker Bueller kind of situation this year. Walker Bueller, haven't seen him pitch in a while. You know, he's still probably going to be very good. It's a similar kind of situation. I think what we're seeing with Walker Bueller this year will be what we see with Brandon Woodruff next year. So, again, it's a different situation, different pitchers. Walker Bueller's not changing teams where Woodruff will be, so there are different factors that go into it. I think it's a pretty good comp, though. But as of right now, honestly, I don't know how to feel about Woodruff. I'm definitely taking him down a few notches in terms of I don't make dynasty rankings, but if you do, you got to be bringing him probably precipitously down your rankings at this point, considering he's going to miss a year, and we don't know what he'll look like when he comes back. But I just think it's a, a strange kind of move for Milwaukee, just from a PR standpoint. You're saving $11 bucks, but I think it looks pretty shitty for your organization. I don't know that a lot of free agent pitchers are – agents in general are going to look at Milwaukee and say that's a place where I want to play they look like they treat their players with respect first of all it's Wisconsin it's Milwaukee it's not like you're going to some beautiful climate or something it's not like you're going to you know New York or anything like that it's not a major city it's not a nice climate so they have to kind of be careful I think in terms of the way that they treat people because I don't know that they're going to be a big destination that people are going to want to go to especially seeing the way the Burns and Woodruff have been treated they treated Josh Hader I don't know how much that factors into the whole equation but I think that they need to be careful here, um, and they're going to need to find another starting pitcher because they've kind of relied on those three guys these last couple seasons. Burns is going to leave after 2024. He's all but said that. Freddie Peralta looked really good down the stretch this year, but we know that he can be you know, either amazing or terrible depending on the day, depending on the season. So the Brewers need to bring in some pitching. The Brewers definitely need to do something to find a replacement for Brandon Woodruff for the long term. Let's talk about the aforementioned pitcher, Lance Lynn going to St. Louis. This one, again, really, really interesting to me. Lance Lance Lewis, listen to me. Uh, Lance Lynn started his career in St. Louis. So there is some familiarity there. Going back to the ballpark where he first was pitching. And he pitched there from 2011 to 2017. So the majority of his time in the big leagues has been spent with St. Louis. That's where he's thrown most of his innings. That's where he's had the majority of his success. Lance Lynn, at the beginning of his career, was incredible in St. Louis. He was really, really amazing. I think we lose track of it because there have been some really bad seasons, including 2023. It was a bad year. I missed on Lance Lynn. 
And I missed on him repeatedly. I kept thinking it was going to get better. It did for a while when he went to Los Angeles, but it was it was a bad season. All that said, he's still a 374 career ERA guy, and that's pretty much his true talent. If you look at his XFIP, you look at his FIP, they're right in the same exact ranges. Uh, everything, pretty much. His his uh, Sierra is 394 for his career. His XFIP is 394. His FIP is 379. It's who he is, right? Now, the question is, are the skills declining? Probably to some extent. We know that the control is not there the way that it used to be. The speed is just about what it always has been in terms of velocity. He was 92 on his fastball this year. As a rookie, he was 92.8 to 93.2. So he's still about the same speed he's always had. The control was the big question because Lance Lynn, after having some bad control early in his career, he really figured it out in Texas in 2019, getting his walk rate down to 6.7%. And then he was hovering in the 7% range last year. It was below 4 and then this year came back up to 8.3. So the control is a big question. Will the control be there? I'm honestly not sure about what we can expect in that regard. We're probably looking at what the projections are saying, 7-ish percent walk rate. Now, they think the strikeout rate will continue to come down, which I think that one is a complete mystery because throughout his career, we have seen it really fluctuate. He went from you know his early season, early career numbers were really high strikeout rates. As a rookie, yes, it was a small sample size, but we saw over 18 games a 29% strikeout rate. Then he went down to 24, 23, 20, 22. Worked his way back up to 28, 26, 27. Now it's gone down a little bit. Is there reason to think it'll come back up? Not really, but there's not really that much reason to think it'll just continue to go down other than the fact that he is 36 years old. So I don't know necessarily that you can take away that much from what we've seen from the skill perspective. Like He's not that different, I don't think, than what he has been these last few seasons. It was a bad season, but it was also a fairly unlucky season for Lance Lynn. Only stranded 67% of base runners, which is a really low number. Usually you're looking at you know 72 to 74 kind of percent. It's not a huge thing, but it's definitely a factor. You also look at his 573 ERA. It was about a run or so higher than the expected numbers. A 450 XFIP, a 486 XERA, and his Sierra was 433. So it wasn't a great year by any means, but it wasn't nearly as bad as what the actual results were. So I think, you know, it's a one-year deal, $11 million. It's not a huge investment from St. Louis here. There's a chance that he finds something going back to where he used to play. And I think it's a decent investment for a team that is truly lacking in terms of their pitching depth. They, I've seen some projected rotations and people tweeting about what they think it might look like. It's it's terrible. It's a terrible rotation. Um, I, I don't really have that much hope in them at this point. Now, I'm trying to find where he is on the ADP. He's not listed with the Dodgers. Are they listing him with St. Louis already? And he's already, well, credit to the NFBC, they've already had him listed now as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. He is their highest SP by ADP at 357, 357. So you don't have to even really invest much at all in Lance Lynn if you do think that there's a chance of a bounce back, right? You're talking 23rd, 24th, 25th round pick at that point. If he's even able to be a four ERA pitcher at that point with the volume that we've come to expect from him, then I think that that's a really, really reasonable price to be paying. Post-pick 300 for a guy that you can slot in, even if they're not amazing innings, even if it's a four-something ERA, there is value in that volume, especially with the strikeouts. Strikeouts are still good, even if it's 24 or 23%. Could be better, but it could be a hell of a lot worse pitching for a team that I think will win more ball games. 
They're not going to be as bad as they were. I think they're going to still keep adding pieces. They should bring in a couple more pitchers. Probably, if, if Lance Lynn is your ace, then there's probably some problems. But I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were. You're still getting decent strikeouts with decent volume. And the price is in the range where if it doesn't work out, you can easily get rid of him. So I'm kind of interested in Lance Lynn. Not that I'll be heavily invested in him, but I think that there is a reasonable opportunity for him uh, to bounce back in St. Louis next year. Let's talk Reynaldo Lopez. This one uh, just happened this morning. Reynaldo Lopez going to the Atlanta Braves because that's what they needed. They needed another excellent piece of bullpen depth. Well, they got it. And there's a couple of interesting factors here with Reynaldo Lopez. So they've talked about today, and I don't know how accurate this is going to be if they'll actually end up doing this, but they want to stretch him out and have him available as potentially a starting pitcher this season. Now, Ronaldo Lopez used to be a starter when he was with the White Sox 2018 and 2019. You're looking at 32 and 33 starts. 2018 was pretty good, 391 ERA. He was overperforming, but 391 ERA nonetheless. The next year was 538. He started to transition to the bullpen. You know, it happened kind of in 2021, and then we saw him go full-time pen essentially in 22, and that's where he has flourished. So this is where I kind of get a little bit of pause here. Why are they doing this, right? Why not just leave things alone, let him go and be another depth piece in the bullpen because that's what he does best. I think the Braves are just worried about their pitching depth and they're worried about what will happen if there are more injuries. If Max Fried can't stay healthy again, I mean, that's going to be a, a big problem. That's one of the reasons why I've kind of worried a little bit about Max Fried. He had three separate injuries in 2023. Um, you know, if you go beyond that, you got Charlie Morton, who's 40 years old. You got Bryce Elder, who is really good in the first half and then was awful in the second half. And then right now listed as their number five starting pitcher is Huascar Yanoa, who, I mean, didn't pitch in the big leagues at all last year. 2022, he had two starts, totaling six innings. He had 17 starts in 2021 of a 405 ERA, but he's probably should not be anywhere near a big league rotation, I don't think. I mean, he's still young, 25, but I don't think the talent level is that high. I think they just are really desperate for starting pitchers. So if they're able to stretch out Lopez, make him somebody who can potentially maybe not be your traditional starter, throw in six or seven innings, but I mean, how many of those are there even in the game anymore? Even if they get him to somebody who can be stretched out to be like a opener plus, throwing you three innings or so, I think they'll take that, and I think if they are able to get that from Lopez, that'll be more the depth that they do need to ensure that even if they have an injury or two in the starting rotation, they can get by. This bullpen is incredibly deep. Iglesias, Minter, Lopez, Pierce Johnson, Jimenez, Tyler Matzik, Aaron Bummer, and Dylan Lee is right now what we're seeing projected by uh, roster resource on fan graphs. It's a very deep bullpen, and it's just gotten deeper this last week. They've already made two key moves for their bullpen. You know, you see a lot of teams sitting on their hands doing nothing. The Braves have already brought in two impact players. They're going to be good. They are going to be good in 2024. There's no doubt about it. They're going to go into the season as World Series favorites, and they probably should. But that starting pitching, you know, to the point of, you know, these reports, they don't have a hell of a lot of depth. They traded away Kyle Wright. And I, I don't know why necessarily they did it for Cower. I don't. I think it's kind of a weird trade. I don't know if it was really necessary, but that's where they are. They're not a particularly deep team in terms of their starting pitchers. Ian Anderson is also there. I'm not sure if he's even going to pitch because he uh, Tommy John. Maybe he's back some point this season, but it had been pretty bad for him as well. So. They, there's just not a lot of depth there. So that's probably why they're talking about stretching out Lopez, potentially whether or not they'll do it. 
is a whole other question, but I think maybe it would make sense. Not even, like I said, he's not going to be going seven innings, but even if he's just like a three or four inning guy to help out every fifth or sixth day in that regard, and then maybe, you know, he has the odd inning here or there elsewhere, I think that would make a lot of sense for the Braves, at least a plan on to give themselves a little bit more security and depth. Well, let's talk about one more thing that I saw over the weekend, and oh man, did it piss me off. The Blue Jays are open to trading Alec Manoa. I understand being open to it, so maybe I shouldn't even say it pissed me off, but why, oh why, are we thinking about trading somebody like Manoa who is at his absolute lowest you're ever going to see him for value? There, He is worth, literally at this point, pretty much nothing. And I, I say that as somebody who was a huge Manoa fan going into 2023. I was ranking him pretty aggressively. I had him as like my... I forget if it was 11th or 13th starting pitcher. I was very, very in on Alec Manoa. But he had about as bad of a season as you can possibly have, combined with reports of bad temperament and not getting along with people and you know not wanting to be sent down when he was pitching terribly. So I, I don't know why you're going to trade him right now when the public perception is that he's a clubhouse. I don't want to even say the word cancer, but that's kind of where we're going with Manoa. And he's also coming off of a 587 ERA season. Why is it now, instead of just letting him work things out throughout the offseason, whatever it is, whether it's an injury, whether it's something mental between the years, whatever whatever the problem is, why not let him try and figure that out? And then if you want to really trade him, trade him once the value rebounds a little bit. Why do it when he's at his absolute lowest? You're trading him now, you're going to get like a double-A guy, or a single-A guy who maybe will debut in four years, who doesn't really have much of a chance, or you're going to get some depth piece, or you'll get a bullpen arm or something, but that's not what you should be getting rid of Alec Manoa for. Alec Manoa is one year removed from being a Cy Young finalist with a 2.24 ERA. <clears throat> was he overshooting his his metrics? Was it a, you know, a little bit of a lucky run from him? Probably, but we saw a 3.22 ERA as a rookie, 2.24 as a sophomore, we're going to give up on him for what exactly? Like, if the price is right, sure. But I've heard talks of, like, no, the Blue Jays should trade Alec Manoa to St. Louis for Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson sucks. Dylan Carlson is a bust. He has no place in a Blue Jays outfield that looks like it's going to be very strong. Whether or not Kiermaier's there, you got Springer, you got Varsho, you got whoever the hell else is the third piece. It's better, even if you're just using a utility guy or Kevin Biggio or whoever, it probably makes more sense than trading Alec Manoa, who is still, at this point, 25 years old, for a guy in Dylan Carlson who has shown over many, many, many times at the big league level that he is not not going to cut it. He just is not going to pan out. We thought he was going to be a star. He's not going to be a star. Now, it's a reclamation project for a reclamation project. Maybe it does make sense, but it just doesn't seem like it does. Maybe I'm just an irrational Blue Jay fan, which does happen every now and again. I do get upset about things that maybe I shouldn't because it's my team. But Alec Manoa, you know, there's still a very good chance that he could be a more than serviceable big league pitcher, that he could be maybe, you know, he's not going to be an ace anymore. Maybe that ship is kind of sailing. But even that I don't think is out of the realm of possibility, that this was a bad year where he had to adjust to some new rules that didn't really sit well with him, changed the way he had to deliver the ball, and it just didn't work out. You give him some time to get used to these rules, to work on the pitch clock training in the offseason, maybe shed a few pounds because he's probably not in the greatest shape. And I say that as somebody who loves the guy. I say that as a bigger guy myself, but he's not in the greatest shape. He could probably do to lose a couple of pounds, get the conditioning better, maybe get the velocity up a little bit, go to drive line, whatever it is. 
and try and you know save yourself, save your career before you're being traded for scrap parts and you end up pitching for the Nationals or whatever it ends up being because that's where we're headed with Manoa. And I understand entertaining the offers, entertaining options, but to trade him at his lowest value for me would be a huge, huge mistake. I'm hoping the Blue Jays don't do that. Maybe it's what he needs to reset, get out of the organization from a real-life and a fantasy point of view, just needs to be somewhere else, then that might be a different conversation entirely. But for right now, I'd still try and be salvaging Alec Manoa because he has shown that he can be an ace-level pitcher and we shouldn't give up on him already. I think it's too soon for that. But let me know what you guys think over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB as well. And, of course, SportsEthos.com is the website. Go ahead and welcome our news contributor, Ben Tid, at BreakingBen underscore T. Go give him a follow over on Twitter. And go and check out all his great content. He is a very well-respected player in the community. He came third overall in the NFBC main event a couple of years ago. You've heard me talk about main event and all the big prizes. The prizes fluctuate year to year, but it was I think it was twenty-five dollars or $30,000. Ben won playing fantasy baseball. So he has a very knowledgeable mind. He knows what he's talking about. And I'm very glad we have him on the team here. So make sure you guys are following him, showing some support over there. But we will talk, unless there is a major thing, unless there's no tiny Otani signing or Yamamoto signs or something, we'll talk first baseman tomorrow. But until then, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers. At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.